This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? Do you remember that scene in Spaceballs where Mel Brooks opens up a can of Perrier? Definitely. Did you know that's actually kind of a thing in China now? What, like Perrier is selling air there? Well, I don't think that company actually exists, but Canadians are doing this. So the Washington Post did a story on this guy named Moses Lamb, and it started as kind of a gag, but he put a Ziploc full of fresh Canadian air on eBay. (laughs) It took two months to sell, and it sold for a whopping 99 cents. Which sounds like a great business. (laughs) Exactly. But he was bored with his day job, so he decided to try it again. And guess how much the next bag sold for? How much? $168. What? For a Ziploc? That's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. So he started packaging it better and for $32 a can, and they've been selling like hotcakes. <laughs> and he isn't the only one. I decided to do a little research on this, and there's a whole industry around this. There are eucalyptus lace six-packs from Australia, Rocky Mountain Air straight from the Colorado, even air from the Swiss Alps, and people in Beijing are going crazy for it. <laughs> Does anyone in China do the reverse? Like, do they, like, package their smog for people living abroad? <laughs> well, I know you're joking, but actually this does happen when I was doing the <laughs> looking into this. So novelty cans of Beijing air are huge sellers, and the ingredients listed on them are pretty great. It says nitrogen, oxygen, and other stuff. <laughs> but reading about packaged air made me wonder what's actually in the stuff around us and what crazy stories are hiding in every breath we take. And that's what this episode's all about. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader. And in today's episode, we're talking about the stories literally hanging in the air. But before we get to that, we've got some housekeeping to take care of. You're talking about Piguan? Piguan. <laughs> yes, you may remember from a few episodes ago, it was called What's the Most American Place? We challenged our listeners to come up with this mnemonic device to help us remember the five territories that are part of the United States, but actually not one of the United States. Puerto Rico, Guam, the U.S. Virgin Islands, American Samoa, and Northern Mariana Islands. And 
I think mine was pancakes grow under a nice tree to help remember those. <laughs> what was yours again? Uh, what was it? It was like pickles. Uh... Pickles get ugly after negotiations. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's what it was. So we asked listeners to send in their own and they came flooding in. It was pretty awesome to see. So I wanted to recognize some of those and we've got some prizes to give away. Uh, one that I thought was pretty terrific was and very simple, but I thought easy to remember uh, from Fred Crook. We have pine nuts are unusually good. That's an easy one to remember. They are unusually good. All right. Uh, The best trio of responses, Kelly Lawson in um, Georgia sent this one. She actually sent three in. We've got pirates go ashore under nightfall, people get uneasy around ninjas, and politics get ugly around November. Like, all of those are so good. They're all solid. All right. You got a T-shirt coming to you, Kelly. And let's see what other. We've got two more. We tried to come up with the top three, but it was just too hard to do this. I have to admit this might actually be my favorite. From Brett Wilkes in uh, Massachusetts, Paul Giamatti's undershirts are nuanced. <laughs> <laughs> Even his undershirts are nuanced. <laughs> They're just so nuanced. All right. And then one that was um, actually used more letters uh, to use you know, both letters in some of these. Pose Raven gave us vodka and said never more. And I just thought that was awesome. All right. Yeah. So. You guys are winners. And then one that was just crazy complicated, and I thought because it was even more difficult to remember than just remembering the names, (laughs) I think deserves a a prize. Rob Brown, um, you're going to be getting a prize as well. So his explanation, since mnemonic begins with a silent M, I suggest the following. Northern Marianas, American Samoa, Guam, U.S. Virgin Island, Puerto Rico becomes... Mascus Viper. The N, of course, is silent. Pronounce the Mascus with a silent, like, uh, with a, which sounds a little like Damascus, and then the rest sounds like Viper. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's so complicated. But, uh, but I love that. So, Rob, you're going to be getting a prize too. So, thank you all for participating in this contest. That was pretty awesome. But let's dig into today's episode topic. You know, one of the things that really inspired this episode was Sam Keen's new book called Caesar's Last Breath. Yeah, that's right. We'll have Sam on in just a bit. And you know what his book kind of reminded me of? What's that? There's a book that came out a few years ago called Twinkie Deconstructed, where the author looked at the back of a Twinkie package and realized there were like 39 ingredients that go into Twinkies. And many he didn't recognize. A a whole bunch of them were unpronounceable. So he decided to chase down the story for each one. And each chapter is about a different ingredient. So he goes down a mine shaft in Idaho. He's chasing across this field in China, and it's crazy. But that's kind of what Sam does. Like, he looks at a single breath of air and goes down a rabbit hole on the elements and compounds in air, and it is fascinating. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, but the funny thing is, as soon as I started researching air, and this is so me, but I immediately wanted to go to Tangent Town. Like, I know we're supposed to be talking oxygen and nitrogen and argon and whatever, but I immediately wanted to talk about, like, an air hockey game some students invented and air guitar competitions and, honestly, anything but chemistry. Spoken like the son of a chemical engineer, (laughs) and that would be you. Yeah, well, uh, just to be warned, I've got this pile of non-essential facts for the fact off that all have the word air in them, like air fresheners. Can't wait for this. <laughs> By the way, do you know uh, the inspiration for those little tree air fresheners that hang in taxis? I mean, I've seen those a million times, but no, I don't know where those came from. Yeah, well, you probably realize it's a bad smell, but uh, more specifically, they got their start when this chemist overheard a milkman crying over spilled milk, <laughs> or rather that he hated the smell of the spilled milk in his truck. Anyway, the chemist was an immigrant from Europe, and he started thinking that a little like alpine scent from his homeland could help. So he designed the air freshener. But strangely, the first ones weren't tree-shaped. 
They were shaped like pinup girls. No way, really? <laughs> but he didn't change the design because it was sexist. It was just that it was easier to pull plastic off a tree pattern. So that's why he changed it from a woman's shape. Wow, it's weird <laughs> to think about the fact that there are just all these things that we notice, but we don't ever stop to question why they're that way. You know, I've been, again, in hundreds of calves, and you just are like, oh, well, they're just all shaped like trees. I don't really know why, but they are. The other awesome thing is that, like, his family's owned this uh, company for three generations, and they claim that they've sold as many air fresheners as McDonald's has sold hamburgers over the years. Oh, my God. I would imagine those things are crazy profitable, Definitely. too. But, all right. To keep us on track here. So just like sleep and flavor, two topics we've covered here on the show, the reason we chose air is that it's something that's easy to overlook, you know, partially because it's invisible. But the other reason we don't think about it very often is that, honestly, we just don't have to. Yeah. I mean, breathing happens automatically and unconsciously under normal circumstances. So unless something's actually wrong, we're not really concentrating on our breath. It just keeps going on in the background. But until we researched it for this episode, like, I had no idea what the numbers looked like. Like, you could have told me, like, we take 5,000 breaths a day or a million breaths in a day, and I probably would have believed you. Yeah, I, I, I probably would, too. But what, what's the real number? <laughs> well, thank you for queuing that up. I actually have those numbers right here. So uh, the average adult takes a breath once every four seconds. So most people are taking somewhere in the neighborhood of, like, 20,000 breaths a day. And it can be closer to 50,000 if you're really active. But you can imagine if every one of those breaths was a conscious action, we'd never get anything done. Yeah, I mean, there's no way for us to be as picky about our breathing as we are about eating or drinking. We'd lose our minds if it was something we actually thought about. <laughs> yeah, and I'm so used to thinking of air as like a single thing. But air is actually a combination of tons and tons of different gas molecules. Like in his book, Sam Keen says a normal human breath is about a half liter of air which breaks down to over 12 sextillion molecules. That doesn't even sound like a real number. I'm pretty sure you just wanted to say sex. But <laughs> So how many zeros are at the end of a sextillion? I know. I had to actually look this up. There are 21. Oh, my God. That's a <laughs> staggering amount of zeros. Also, a crazy number of molecules for a single. So that's a single breath? Yeah. And imagine, like, we're taking 20,000 breaths a day. God, I don't even want to think about that. That's crazy. Yeah. So what's even weirder is that a large portion of the gas molecules in every breath we take are recycled from someone else's. So no matter where you are in the world, no matter how fresh and clean the air seems, even if you're getting it from like a six pack of your Rocky Mountain air that you're <laughs> talking about, it's a certainty that some of what you're breathing is really secondhand breath. Or third hand or fourth hand or fifth hand. Which is a little unsettling, but I don't know, maybe kind of sweet. I mean, <laughs> breath seems like this intimate thing to share with someone. So the fact that we're all swapping it around every four seconds, I mean, that means we're all tapping into this invisible shared history between us. Yeah, it's like a brotherhood of breath, which is this wonderful poetic notion. No, no, but... no. I, I was kidding. It's actually kind of gross. <laughs> really, like think about people breathing on you. <laughs> But the really crazy thing is how far back that shared history goes. Like, the air we breathe is never completely lost or destroyed. It's just redistributed. So the title of Sam's book hints at this by bringing up Caesar. He breathed his dying breath, like, over 2,000 years ago. But those sextillion gas molecules, they live on. And wind spread them all over the world in a matter of weeks. And they've been breathed in and out in different combinations ever since. In fact, it turns out that approximately one particle of Caesar's last breath will be found in the very next one you take. So multiply that by the number of breaths you take per day, and you're literally inhaling thousands of microscopic bits of uh, Caesar's secondhand air every single day of your life. Oh, wow, that is pretty nuts. And I'm, <laughs> I'm still sticking with the fact that that's a little bit gross, but 
especially when you consider that has to be true of every person's breath, not just Caesar's. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I didn't realize was just how fluid air is. Like, in fact, any expulsion of air anywhere in the world will reach you within the span of two weeks, two months, or a year or two, depending on where you are in relation to it. You can almost imagine it as this sea of gases flowing across the whole world. That is really wild. Actually, this isn't an air tangent, but one about fluid dynamics. Did you know that scientists at UC Santa Barbara have studied why we tend to spill coffee from our mugs when we walk? Like, apparently, because of our gait and the way the coffee moves, we naturally create this oscillation that'll spill the drink between our seventh and tenth steps. I love that there's a study around this. <laughs> yeah, so if you actually, like, slow down every fifth or sixth step... You should be golden. <laughs> oh, that's pretty awesome. Well, I actually thought when you said you were going to do a tangent, I thought this was going to be about how mosh pits actually follow fluid dynamic models and how people in mosh pits act the same way molecules in gas do. I mean, there are actually scientific papers on this. I know. It's crazy. Like, I, I was looking that up again, and, and I realized that the scientists figured out that if you reshape how a mosh pit works, people actually mosh in straight lines. It's <laughs> <laughs> phenomenal. I like, the, I like the phrase, mosh in straight lines. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do a totally different episode on, like, fluid dynamics and the studies of, like, swimming in molasses and whatever. All right, but now that we have an idea on how air flows, why don't we talk about its power and specifically how it's aided human flight? So I'm guessing you want to talk about the Wright brothers? Nope, not the Wrights. <laughs> I'm thinking we should go back to the late 1700s, even before the Wrights, when another Frenchman named Joseph Michel Montgolfier was daydreaming about his wife's lingerie. <laughs> I love how much, like, lingerie and pinups. So, uh, and you just... mentioned the sextillion. It's <laughs> yeah, just yeah. getting dirty, too dirty fast. <laughs> but lay it on me. <laughs> All right. So there's a great story here. Montgolfier was watching his wife's laundry dry over a fire when he noticed her underwear billowing and rising whenever the heat from the flames increased. So he gets curious about what's causing this lift, and he starts thinking about it, and he decides that he could build this, you know, sack of air as he decides <laughs> to lift himself in the same way to possibly fly. So he tries a few experiments, and after some help from his younger brother, Montgolfier succeeded in creating the world's first hot air balloon, which he described as a cloud and a paper bag. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. So he figured that all out by watching some laundry air. Well, that's the thing. So Joseph Montgolfier was an amateur scientist at best. I mean, he was a fan of chemistry rock stars like Priestley and Lavoisier, but he could hardly claim to be an expert himself. He actually thought it was the smoke from the fire that would make the balloon rise, not the air itself. So when the Montgolfiers held the first public demonstration of an unmanned balloon flight, they got it airborne by building the biggest, smokiest bonfire they could. <laughs> they burned wool, rabbit skins, straw, even old shoes. Can you imagine how bad this smelled? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but the Montgolfier brothers had perfected their shoe-burning technique by the time they held their second flight. This time they sent a sheep, a rooster, and I think a duck airborne, <laughs> and they were all in this little cage that hung beneath the balloon. And the demonstration drew this huge crowd. I think even King Louis XVI was there to watch this thing as the balloon animals traveled two miles before they touched down unharmed. Well, I'm glad they arrived unharmed, but this is supposed to be mankind's dream. Did the Montgolfiers ever manage to get a human airborne? They sure did. King Louis had suggested that the brothers send up two criminals first, just in case something went wrong. <laughs> but the Montgolfiers didn't think the convicts worthy of the honor. So instead, they decided to enlist a physicist and a local marquee for the task. It was on November 21st, 1783. And these men became the first human beings in history to actually fly. Which is a huge honor. Yeah, though, unfortunately, the same physicist holds a less prestigious title. 
Two years later, he became the first flight fatality when his balloon caught fire. He was trying to cross the English Channel at the time. Which is horrible. But before we move on, mind if I clear the air with one of my favorite hot air balloon stories? All right, sure. So, Tristan, uh, can you cue the storytelling music? So this is a story from East Germany in the late 1970s. These two friends, Hans Strelzik and Gunther Wetzel, both happened to watch a late-night documentary on the history of hot air balloons, and it gave them this idea. What if they used a balloon to flee communism and hop the Berlin Wall? Like, it sounds obvious in theory, but pretty difficult in practice. And it helped that one was a bricklayer and the other was this mechanic, and of course they had to work on the project in total secrecy. They built an engine out of propane gas cylinders that they somehow squirreled away, and they stitched a balloon out of taffeta. They had to buy the material from different shops and space out their purchases so it didn't look suspicious, and their wives got involved, like, stitching this giant balloon together. It had to be big enough to hold both their families. But here's the crazy part, right? On the night they decided to leave, Mrs. Wetzel gets nervous and backs out. So the Strelzix, they go it alone. I mean, it's rainy and the conditions aren't great, and the engine on the balloon gives out after a few minutes. But suddenly they get spotted by the border police. Somehow they manage to escape to their car without getting caught, but now the Stasi, you know those terrifying East German secret police? They have this evidence of the balloon, and they're on the trail. So now they're working against the clock, and there's really no option but to flee. The family start over. This time they use canvas and bed sheets to make a stronger balloon. They somehow source all this material again. I mean, 60 pieces of canvas go into this thing, in addition to all these bed sheets, and they're working overtime. As it's told, and I, I don't think this is false, the Stasi is basically closing in on the operation. So the two families take off in the dead of night again. This time the conditions are better, but there's no basket. Just a platform and some metal bits for these two wives and two husbands and four kids to hold on to. And they're up in the air at a height of 8,000 feet. They fly for what feels like 30 minutes, just clinging on for their lives. And finally they land, and they have no idea where they are. But when a cop spots them in the field and approaches them, they quickly realize they've made it to West Germany. I mean, isn't that a great story? They became heroes in the West overnight, and the hot air balloon became, for a while at least, the symbol of freedom. That is crazy. Yeah, that's a that's that's a good story. I I, I think maybe LeVar Burton needs to be worried about <laughs> story time with Mango. That is really good. And I can't imagine trying to build a hot air balloon on my own. I mean, now that we have the benefit of YouTube, but back then, based on what they learned from a documentary, that seems insane. But before we return to the topic of air, what do you say we take a break for a quiz? Sounds great. So, Mango, who do we have on the line today? We've got Stan Hess and Kyle Laxton from the U.S. Hot Air Balloon Team out of Lancaster, PA. Wonderful. Welcome to Part-Time Genius, guys. Glad to be here. So, Stan, I see you founded the company. Can you tell us how it all started? I went for a balloon ride one day back in the early 1980s and uh, decided I just had to have one. Got my first balloon, decided that um, bigger was better, and... um, the United States had our balloon team just seemed like a natural extension, and we went to work, and probably 50 balloons later, here we are. That's incredible. <laughs> so I heard you guys were on the MTV show Promposals, and I was curious, what's the most romantic thing you've seen in the air? They've got anything from, you know, proposals to people just coming out to hang out all the way to dropping a couple skydivers out of the balloon. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, you name it, if you could do it in a balloon, you know, we're down to have some fun. Typically, we probably have an engagement or two every week in one of our balloons. That's so awesome. What about any surprising or memorable landings? 
Oh, I mean, you got to think, you got to remember, you know, hot air ballooning, we're, we're always landing somewhere different every time. So I would say every flight is unusual and uh, exciting in its own way. You know, whether it be a field in the middle of a farm or a cul-de-sac during 4th of July, you know, when you got barbecues left and right, you know, it, it's, it's just really neat. Everybody coming out, either helping out put the balloon away or just come out, take pictures. You know, it's just definitely makes for a good story at the end of the day. And if I can offer, if I can offer mine, I... I think that I probably would tell you that the most memorable place that I've ever landed a balloon was in a nudist colony, and it would have been better had they had their clothes on. <laughs> That's pretty great. Now, was that an intentional landing? Did you mean to land in a nudist colony? Actually, it was part of a, part of a contest where, where uh, as part of the event, all the participants were given a, were given coordinates to where they were supposed to land their balloon. We didn't know it was a nudist colony up front, but we <laughs> tried to fly to the coordinates, and we and we came into the coordinates. And my goodness, here these people are without clothing on. We had no idea it was a nudist colony until we prepared wow. to land. Yeah. yeah. So you did you didn't offer any rides once you got there? I'm guessing. No, no, but it was it was uh, it was it was different. It was different. Well, let's put these guys to the test, Mango. What uh, what quiz are we playing with them today? We've got a really dumb quiz called The Air Up There, or rather, Things That Rhyme With The Air Up There. Okay, right. So because we like to make people say things that sound like phrases, every answer in this quiz will be the blank up there. Um, so here we go. Let's get started with uh, question number one. You guys ready? All right, let's do it. You can work together. <laughs> question number one. If Lazy Boy put too many balloons on their furniture, it would be? Got that one, the chair up there. You got it. All right, one for one. Number two, if Paddington or Winnie the Pooh went to space, they'd be? The bear up there. You got it. If Joe Biden went airborne, he'd be representing this state? Delaware. Delaware, yeah. The Delaware up there. Right, here we go. All right, number four, if your family's nice forks, knives, and spoons were sent skyward, they would be? Silverware up there. You got it. Here's a tough one. Number five, this is for all the prize. Here we go. Number five, if the dromedary-colored overcoat were shot into the atmosphere, it would be? The camel hair up there. You got it. Congratulations, guys. Tell them how they did, Mango. They went an astounding five for five, and in addition to a note to their mom or boss singing their praises, our contestants have each earned macaroni and cheese air fresheners, the strangest smelling air freshener we could find on the market. Congratulations. All right. Congratulations, guys, and thanks so much for being on Part-Time Genius. Unbelievable. Thank you so much. It's all good. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. 
Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. So, Manga, we should probably talk a little bit about the composition of air and some of those stories. But honestly, I want to keep talking about hot air balloons <laughs> after your story. So Sam Keen writes, besides the daredevils and picnickers, balloon flights also stimulated interest in the properties of gases. Indeed, it's no coincidence that some of the first balloonists were also some of the first people to explore the behavior of gases in a systematic way. These men had the most to lose, including their lives, if their theories failed. Which is a great point. Like, atmospheric chemists and other brainy aeronauts made full use of the practical applications of hot air balloons. They used balloons in all kinds of experiments that gradually expanded our understanding of the miles and miles of air above us. And while Sam makes a distinction between daredevils and scientists, the French chemist and physicist Joseph-Louis Gay-Lussac, he was definitely both. Well, how's that? Well, even before he was pushing the limits of the skies, Gay-Lussac was testing the limits of his lab. He almost blinded himself during multiple experiments, and he even shocked himself with a homemade battery to the point that he couldn't move his arm for a day. It just sounds a little more reckless than brilliant. <laughs> well, I think we should just call him determined, okay. which is the best way to explain the fact that he took a hot air balloon solo to over 23,000 feet. Which is totally insane. I mean, we do need to put this in perspective for our listeners. So most recreational balloonists stick between... About 1,200 and 3,000 feet tops, and that's in balloons with modern-day safety features. Yeah, his altitude stood as a world record for more than a century. So at least the ordeal netted him some fame afterward because it had to be rough going in the moment. That air up there is really thin, and he would have only had a short period to collect samples of rarefied, like, high-altitude air before hightailing it back down. Well, after all that effort, were the samples even useful? Totally. I mean, they showed us that the composition of the atmosphere is the same at sea level as it is miles up in the air. And while there's less air in general at higher altitudes, as Gay-Lussac learned, the proportions of nitrogen, oxygen, and other gases are the same no matter the altitude. The breakthrough led to the discovery of several crucial gas laws that have helped explain the nature of gases and how they behave under different conditions. All right, I'll admit that does sound worth the risk, I guess as long as it's somebody else <laughs> doing the flight. And Gay-Lussac, he's the guy that figured out that water is made up of two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, right? Yeah, that's right. He and his partner in science, Alexander von Humboldt, who was often in that hot air balloon with him. All right, so here's something I found fascinating, and it's not something I normally think about, but it's how strong the air pressure is around us. So the planet's normal air pressure is something like 14.5 pounds per square inch, which is a solid ton of force per square foot. I mean, that's round-the-clock power pressing in on you from all directions. 
it really is kind of a wonder we can even stand it. But, I mean, do you know the only thing that keeps us from crumpling from that air pressure? Our indomitable uh, human spirits? Good guesses always, <laughs> but nope, it's the uh, it's the air that we're carrying around with us. So we don't notice these 20 or so tons of force pressing into us because there's an equal amount of force pushing back from the inside of our bodies. So Sam Keen describes it pretty well. He says, in theory, a piece of aluminum foil, if perfectly balanced between blasts from two fire hoses, would survive intact. But who would risk it? Our skin and our organs face the same predicament vis-a-vis air. Just imagining that's crazy, and I'm so glad it's a tie between the air forces. Uh, I would say, though, if the Industrial Revolution taught me anything, it's that gases like steam can be powerful allies. Oh, absolutely. And it's best to stay on their good side, too, because some of them fight pretty dirty. So take nitroglycerin, for example, which Sam also talks about in his book. There's a huge amount of energy within nitro's chemical bonds. But the real reason for any explosive destructive power, it's the speed and force at which that energy is released. Right, because technically speaking, an ounce of coal or gasoline or even a stick of butter contains more energy than the same amount of most explosives. It's just that my pad of butter here doesn't have the means to release its energy outwardly because it doesn't have the same power of a volatile gas cocktail on its side. Yeah, you have a pad of butter over there. (laughs) It's a little weird. Yeah. All right, by the way, I can't let the topic of nitroglycerin pass without talking about Alfred Nobel. I mean, we all know him from the Nobel Prizes and that he made his fortune by making dynamite. And this is one of those facts that before anybody starts screaming, (laughs) I know that fact, I know that fact. It's kind of like that fact about Taft getting stuck in the bathtub where everybody knows it and everybody likes to point it out. But, Mm -hmm. you know, what's funny is that I always thought Nobel came up with dynamite in a vacuum. But He was actually the son of a Swedish weapons manufacturer. Did you know this? I had no idea, no. He then witnessed the demonstration of the destructive power of a single drop of nitroglycerin in his youth, and he became obsessed with explosives. He started funneling his family's fortune into making nitroglycerin more reliable and less likely to explode prematurely. I mean, just to give you a sense of how volatile nitroglycerin is, gunpowder explodes in a few thousandths of a second, but nitroglycerin explodes within a millionth of a second. (laughs) But Nobel's big breakthrough was to slow down the nitro by adding gunpowder and then packing them both into a hollow piece of wood. And this creates the world's first blasting cap. So he started selling blasting caps as well as raw nitro, which he dubbed blasting oil, to miners and construction crews all over the world. So I'm guessing he used uh, those profits to fund his prize program. Well, uh, maybe partly, but really the blasting caps and oil proved to be disastrous products. (laughs) There were numerous deaths and injuries from accidental explosions. In fact, this thing got so bad that nobody would rent lab space to Nobel anymore. This is Alfred Nobel. So he actually converted a barge into this floating laboratory, and he spent years sailing from port to port. And people started calling this Nobel's death ship. And it was while he was at sea that he hit on the idea of encasing the nitro and gunpowder in a clay-like substance. And that made the mixture less likely to blow up unintentionally. So now we're talking about dynamite. Yep, and with a capital D, actually, because Nobel trademarked the name. And that was a move that paid off for him, too. Dynamite became incredibly popular once mining and construction firms saw what it could do. And suddenly all kinds of knockoffs sprang up, some called Hercules powder and (laughs) Renrock. But Nobel was swatting them down with his patents. And in the end, the product success actually cost him his trademark. Dynamite worked its way into the public lexicon and became a generic term, kind of like Kleenex or zipper. (laughs) By the way, my uncle, who was in advertising in Bombay, actually ran into the same problem. He couldn't get people to stop saying they were making a Xerox. Like, for some reason, the word coffee wouldn't catch on there, and his client was HP. 
So the slogan they ended up pushing was make your Xerox on an HP. (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous. All right. Well, there's actually a little bit more to Nobel's story that I think we should talk about. And and that's the role that air plays in human psychology. But before we get into that, why don't we break for a quiz? So our guest today is one of our favorite science writers. He was one of the early writers at Mental Floss, actually, in our days there. Uh, He's written such books as The Tale of the Dueling Neurosurgeons, The Disappearing Spoon, and uh, many of our other favorites. But his latest book is called Caesar's Last Breath, and that's the book we've been talking about today. Sam Keen, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, Sam. So, uh, you know, the title of your book is so poetic, and I was wondering if you'd explain it to our listeners. Yeah, it's sort of a classic problem in chemistry and physics classes where they ask students, what are the odds that the next breath you are taking will include a molecule that Caesar breathed, his last breath, um, when he was assassinated uh, back in 44 BC in Rome? And it's the question kind of investigates a couple of different ideas about you know, how many molecules are in every breath that you inhale, how long those molecules last uh, in the atmosphere, how, uh, you know, a breath or any gas really spreads around the atmosphere, how quickly it is, how large the atmosphere is. And to answer the question, you kind of have to take all of those factors into account. So it's a poetic and interesting question, but there's a lot of good science behind it as well. And kind of surprisingly, the odds of you breathing in a molecule that Caesar breathed during his last breath are quite high each time you take a breath. On an average, you're probably breathing in, depending on the assumptions you make, one molecule or so. And over the course of a day, it's almost a statistical certainty that you're going to breathe in several thousand of those molecules. So it's this really cool connection between the past and the present day that you wouldn't really think about, but something that happens every single time you take a breath. Wow. that's a, It is still so strange, no matter how much we thought about it in, uh, in reading this book. It's such a, such a bizarre fact. I felt like after I read the chapter on these German scientists racing to extract ammonia from the air, I came away with this, I don't know, new appreciation for the compound. And I think you wrote that ammonia fertilizers actually grow, what, half of the world's food? Did Now, did you come away from the book with a new respect for any element or other compounds? Yeah, the, the ammonia thing, getting the nitrogen out of the air and making something useful uh, from it, it does really give you a perspective on how important the air is and what, I mean, just, just the hidden ways it really influences our lives that we don't think about. Uh you know, half the people on the planet wouldn't be here today if not for that process of being able to get the nitrogen out of the air and make it into fertilizer. So it does, I mean, we all know on some level, obviously, that you need to, you know, have access to air to live, but the fact, the the importance of the air really goes even beyond just sort of day-to-day breathing. All of these gases, you know, they help drive the Industrial Revolution. They really drive the weather, things like that. Um, you can, you know, you're inhaling anesthesia and refrigerants, all these different things uh, that make up our modern life. They really are derived. They come from things that are going on in the air all the time, even if you don't really think about them in your day-to-day life. 
Now, one of the things I really loved about the book is that there are these little offbeat meanderings that you add. And I was curious why you uh, included the tangent on Le Petomain, because it's really funny, but, <laughs> but I just want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, uh, Le Petomain was sort of this, uh, they called him a fartiste. Uh, he was basically <laughs> uh, an artist who used uh, flatulence to do impressions in uh, Moulin Rouge uh, in Paris at the end of the 1800s. And I included that one because I think it's just such a delightful story, um, something you would never, ever expect to be going on in sort of high society Paris. But he was the most popular artist there for a very long time. And the other reason I, I chose to include it is, you know, I think, you know, you can sort of giggle over it. It's, uh, uh, you know, kind of lowbrow humor, but it's something, uh, you know, the, the gas inside of us that we produce that people think about, uh, you know, it's something kind of on their mind, even if it's, uh, you know, we don't always talk about it uh, in polite society. But there, again, there's a lot of good science in there about what those gases are, where they come from, how they affect us. Um, and you can even get into other things, like there was sort of a digression in there about, uh, you know, uh, communication and other things. Why do we communicate from one side of our um, uh, digestive tract and not the other side of it? There's really no reason <laughs> things couldn't have evolved differently. So, again, you can get into a lot of really interesting, cool science uh, based on this story that on the surface of it might seem, you know, just amusing. But there's a lot of good stuff behind it. Do we know of any animals that communicate through the other end? I don't think we do, do we? There are some species of cod that they think uh, that, you know, they're obviously not the articulate speaking like human beings, but they, <laughs> they seem to respond uh, in some ways to bubbles that they release. So it's some sort of rudimentary communication uh, going on there. So, yeah, there, <laughs> there, there are hints that there are some animals that do that. With various dialects, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. Were there any other facts in your research that you found equally just mind-blowing? I mean, there's so many interesting things in this book, but any facts where you, you, you walked away thinking that can't possibly be true? One fact that I really still kind of blows my mind is the idea of what's called the oxygen catastrophe. So, Nowadays, we think about oxygen, obviously, as vital for life. It's very important for life. We would all die if there wasn't oxygen in the air. But for most creatures who've ever lived on planet Earth, especially microbes, oxygen is a deadly poison. And oxygen actually caused probably the greatest mass extinction in the history of Earth because it was a pollutant. It was a very reactive molecule most microbes back a few billion years ago didn't want it around, so they would expel it. Eventually, it built up in the air to such a degree that it started killing them off. So, again, one of the greatest mass extinctions in history was driven by something that we consider as absolutely vital to life nowadays. So it really gives changes your perspective on what this gas is, what the air has been over time, and how it really has evolved and changed. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is fascinating. So we've got uh, a terrible quiz to play with Sam today. What's the quiz called? We've got a pop quiz called It's Elemental. Okay, that's right. And so when Mango says pop quiz, he means pop culture quiz, and it should be fun. So every question, we've included the chemical symbol for an element. So we'll get started if you're ready, Sam. Okay. All right. Question number one. This lead singer for the band Queen could have been known as Freddie H.G. Who is this? Must be Freddie Mercury. It is. <laughs> Question number two. Yeah. 
This magician who made the Statue of Liberty disappear could be known as David C. U. Field. David Copperfield. All right, he's a genius. Number three. That's talking about Sam, the genius, <laughs> not David Copperfield. I don't know. If he's right. also pretty smart. Yeah. Number three. When he was hankering for a late-night sandwich, Elvis used to fly his jet out to Colorado to get a peanut butter and jelly with bacon sandwich, also known as Fool's AU. Fool's Gold, he must have called it. Yes. Uh, I love that Elvis story, but I didn't know he called it. He had a special name for it. So That's exactly right. I'm glad we're teaching you a couple things, too, equally important. Yeah. All right, number four. This Belgian comic book journalist and his dog Snowy race around the world solving mysteries. Elementally, you'd known him. You'd know him better as SNSN. Uh, Tintin. All right. Another very important one here. Number five. Calling this Canadian rock band NI back wouldn't have made their music sound any better. <laughs> Nickelback. Okay. All right, let's do one more. Winston Churchill's speech about this Cold War boundary could have been called the F.E. Curtain speech. What are we talking about? Must be the Iron Curtain speech. So you got I'm it. kind of amazed. I, I was kind of dreading anything related to pop culture, but uh, that went okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you nailed it. How did he do, Mango? <laughs> Sam went an astounding six for six, which earns them our hard-earned admiration. All right. Congratulations, Sam. You, right. did, you did great. See, there was nothing to be stressed about there. So I hope everyone will yeah, check yeah, out uh, Sam's latest book, Caesar's Last Breath. Uh, I know you will enjoy it just as much as we did. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for writing a terrific book. and for being a guest on Part-Time Genius. All right, well, thanks for having me. It was fun. So we were talking about the incredible gas power we see expressed in explosive compounds like dynamite. But, Will, you were telling us, when ended up happening with uh, Nobel? Well, as you know, Nobel made a fortune off of dynamite. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. 
For everything dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. And it was the equivalent of a quarter billion dollars today. And that was all from uh, tunneling projects and subway construction? I mean, that was part of it. But as manufacturers started to see the potential of nitro for new, deadlier weapons like bombs and landmines, Nobel became famous all over again as a merchant of death. (laughs) He was rich and successful, but ultimately miserable because of how hated he was seen in the public eye. Right. So I'm guessing the prizes were this uh, form of penance. Well, exactly. I mean, he took his dynamite money and set up a prize fund for chemistry, physics, medicine, literature, and lastly, of course, for peace. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was his way of making amends for all the suffering he caused while salvaging his reputation at the same time. Well, it might just be like the best long tail PR move in history because most (laughs) people remember him for the prizes and fewer people remember him for that uh, floating death bar. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) You know, for all his successes, poor Alfred Nobel certainly experienced plenty of anguish from the damage gases can cause. But there are also some parts of human psychology that are directly affected by our need for air. And that's actually one of the things I found most interesting in Sam's book. He talks about the reason why gas attacks are so frightening and appalling to us. And he ends up concluding that it's because gases have the power to attack our basic biology on a level that things like blades and bullets just can't match. Yeah, when our air supply is threatened, humans tend to freak out. I mean, we seem to have a fear of poisonous air that's hardwired into our brains. And Mm -hmm. when it's triggered, you know, all rational behavior goes right out the window and our instincts tend to take over. Yeah, some researchers now think humans have a second independent fear system that deals exclusively with monitoring our air supply. So even though we don't consciously focus on our breathing, deep down, we're always anxious about it. We know how much we need air to survive, and we also know how quickly too much or too little of its properties can wipe us out. But, you know, if we're going to talk about dangerous air, we should probably talk a little bit about nuclear blasts. Oh, do we have to? I mean, just a little. So unlike (laughs) regular explosives, the gas molecules released into the atmosphere continue to do harm long after the initial blast. And that's actually where we get this term fallout from the radioactive leftovers that get shot up into the upper atmosphere before they fall out of the sky and rain down on unsuspecting victims. Which is actually fascinating, but I find the topic so depressing. Yeah. Like, the fallout creates some of the most toxic air imaginable, the kind that can ruin food and water supplies and causes widespread cases of fast-acting cancers and other maladies. Part of the reason fallout is so dangerous is that there aren't a whole lot of ways to protect against something as pervasive as the air itself. And like we were saying in the beginning, it's all fluid. As Sam Keen writes, By the early 1960s, radioactive atoms from both Soviet and American tests had seeded every last square inch on Earth. Even penguins in Antarctica had been exposed. Well, just like with everything else, radioactivity is safest in moderation. Fallout is most dangerous in regions that are fairly close to nuclear strike zones. But for the average person, the amount of radioactive gases we breathe in from atomic weapons testing each year is pretty negligible. It's actually less than the radiation we receive from a single X-ray. Which makes me feel a little better, especially because it gives me the perfect opening to talk about the surprising truth of banana radiation. (laughs) You guys have no idea how much Mango likes to talk about banana facts, but uh, but what's this one? (laughs) Banana facts are the best facts, but uh, I promise this one's good. 
So you probably already know that plenty of things we interact with on a daily basis, even many of the ones we ingest, are chock full of radioactive molecules. Sure. So I know Brazil nuts, coffee, Mm -hmm. red meat, even things like cat litter and granite (laughs) countertops have trace amounts, but bananas? Yeah, so here's what's weird. Like, bananas are actually the gold standard. Scientists actually compared the radioactivity of other ordinary objects to bananas, and the amount of radioactive potassium-40 found in a banana is known among nuclear scientists as the BED, or banana equivalent dose. (laughs) I have a hard time believing that, but I'm going to take your word for it. That's pretty ridiculous. I'm guessing BEDs of radiation aren't anything to worry about then? Well, not as long as you monitor your uh, banana intake. There are cases of large banana shipments setting off the radiation detectors at some seaports, but that's just because there are so many BEDs in one place. For a human to contract banana-induced radiation poisoning you'd have to scarf down about 20 million of them. (laughs) All right, quick. What's your favorite banana-related food item? (laughs) Uh, Banana now and laters, maybe? Banana now. (laughs) I was thinking like a real (laughs) thing, like peanut butter and banana and honey sandwiches. Oh, that makes so much more sense. I just can't think of anything banana. Banana runts? Like, what else is banana flavor? Banana uh, Laffy Taffy is obviously the answer. But So so I'm I'm guessing we're safe then. Well, to clarify, I like bananas, but I don't like banana-flavored things. Okay, good. Glad we got that. <laughs> but uh, let's recap a little. So we've examined the longevity, permeability, and speed of air, its usefulness in achieving the dream of flight, and even helping people escape places like East Berlin, which is less of a problem today. And we also talked about the force that it wields to keep us humans in line and its propensity for causing damage, both physical and mental. But there's one last aspect of air I'd like to demonstrate. All right. What's that? The power of its facts. (laughs) Remember that air hockey fact I couldn't quite fit into the episode? Prepare to be blown away in the part-time genius fact off. All right. Let's see what you got. So this is from 2006, but I love it so much. Basically, some students created a virtual air hockey game. You have half an air hockey table and a video screen with someone on the other side. It could be anywhere, like in Russia or wherever. And when you hit the puck, the table actually calculates how you hit it and at what angle. And it spits it out on the other side of the world. Which, as someone who grew up with a sister who rarely wanted to play sports with me, to always be able to find a table tennis partner or whatever across the globe for a game is sort of incredible. That is pretty awesome. So here's one about black umbrellas and how they became the standard. Did you know that excessive coal burning in the 1700s caused an inky rain in <laughs> London? So the black umbrella protected you from pollutants without looking disgusting. Actually, have you heard about that company, Air Inc.? No. So an MIT scientist was in India when he realized the soot and pollution in the air was actually making smudges on his white shirt. So he came up with a novel idea. Why not use it to replace the carbon black in printers? His company actually harvests the soot straight from the tailpipes of trucks, and it's now helping to clean the air while putting that pollutant into safe markers and paints that actually apparently artists really dig. That's pretty awesome. All right, here's one about whales. Scientists have long wondered why they leap into the air and breach when it exerts so much energy to do this, and it turns out it's a communication trick. Often the behavior happens when whales are traveling in a pod and get separated. While whales have songs and other ways to communicate over very long distances, flopping is an easy way to get another whale's attention in a closer range or in places where there's a lot of competing noise. Hmm. As one scientist told Quartz, it's akin to 
A really keen kid in a classroom jumping up and down and waving his hands. <laughs> really keen kids in classrooms. That's right. <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. Uh, okay, so this one's about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Well, first off, did you know that that New Yorker writer Andy Borowitz actually wrote the pilot for the show? No, I didn't. So he told Complex Magazine that the spoiled Hillary character was based on Quincy Jones's daughters, or more specifically, the phone messages they used to leave for him while they were at summer camp. And one message that Quincy played for Borowitz said, Dad, the water here sucks. Please FedEx Avian. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this doesn't actually have anything to do with air, but it's too good not to share. It came up when I was looking into ways to clean the environment. Apparently, this woman in Cleveland, Susan Warren, came to be known as the cleaning fairy because she would randomly break into people's homes, clean them, and then leave a bill. <laughs> it was apparently her way of drumming up business, but cops could, you know, of course, they didn't take kindly to this, so she's been arrested twice for it. Oh, man, that's so good. I had one about this, uh, the Helsinki University of Technology, which actually created a functional air guitar. Like, you wear colored gloves, and a camera watches your movements and turns it into a real-life instrument which is awesome, but I actually really love that cleaning fairy story. All right, well, I'll take it. Well, thanks to Sam Keen, whose book we leaned on heavily for this episode. Yeah, the book is jam-packed with incredible stories, from the shocking and amazing tale of scientists collecting ammonia from the air to why plants actually respond to anesthesia. Seriously, Venus flytrap's reflexes get all slow and woozy when they're put under, so please go out and get Caesar's breath when you get a sec. It'll blow your mind. And that's it for today's episode. Thanks again for listening. By the way, have you heard about the Japanese deodorant gum? Apparently you chew it and it makes your B.O. smell like flowers, which is crazy. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. <laughs> Gary Rowland does the exact producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Do we, do we forget Jason? Jason who? done it again this month only get ready for an offer you can't resist buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at two thousand dollars that's right a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once so hurry into diamonds direct your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long details at diamondsdirect.com you wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.
Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.